You guys are... It's beautiful to be here. Um, I, I just got to say, we didn't know until Wednesday that I was going to do this solo. And the fact that K, uh, K2 already planned for that song to lead in is just perfect. First of all, because I love you too. It's... Um, yeah, I love you too. No, it sounds... I love you too. I love you too. Um, and I feel like I've been that person who... Um, I've been the tough one. I've lived a lot of my life. And my friends who know me well know I still struggle with this. Um, I've been the independent one, the tough one, the individual who doesn't need others, um, the introvert who'd rather be alone than with people. There's a lot of things about my life I feel like that song um, articulates. And yet, whether you're a person of faith or not, an introvert or an extrovert, um, no matter who you are in here, I think we can all agree to the human condition that we need each other. There, there are times in life when we find ourselves alone and we realize that's not a good thing. And um, what I get to share with you today is something that I think is stunningly beautiful, um, that I believe to my core, something that uh, has radically changed me and has changed inside of me over the years um, and is, I believe, God's gift to his people that meets this need for others more deeply. Um, I don't even have the words for it. Um, in a miraculous, holy, deep kind of way, the needs for each other and for humanity are even greater than we ever knew. We don't even know how much we need each other. I think is the point. So um, we're in this series on United, and last week David talked about how we're united with Christ. And that is, if you haven't heard that sermon, if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to listen to the podcast. Because really and truly, what I'm going to share with you today is only possible because when a person, it's a mystery, when a person puts their faith in Christ and says, I just believe that you are who you said you are, when a person does that, this, this thing happens where they're united with Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection into a new life, and you become a new creation, able to live. Um, and what we're going to learn about today is not just a new creation as an individual, but you become a part of something um, so much bigger and so much greater than just a social club <laughs> or a tribe. We all, we all have our tribes that we run in. Run in. This, is, this is very different. So I'm going to jump right in, because one of the things that happened in the red box, they're all my guinea pigs. I spent way too much time <laughs> in my introduction. And uh, I don't want to do that, because I feel like there's some stuff in this that God has given me that I really need to share with you. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to dive in. And today's going to be very different, because I'm very different than my husband. So for those of you who like Dave, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I know you all like Dave. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thanks so much. Whew. 
I pray that you would speak to us and that you would have me and have your way in this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we've been, we've been kind of starting out in um, John 17, which is where we have recorded where John was close enough to Jesus to hear his prayer and by the power of the Holy Spirit remember it. It's a beautiful gift to us that we have this on record. By the way, if any of you in here still think that we have these scriptures by a game of telephone, um, I just encourage you to check that out. Write the Smithsonian Institute. Don't ask a Christian, but check out the reliability of the scriptures. We have a very early record that someone who was with Christ wrote of, his, of one of his prayers. And we're gonna look at it, John 17, 20 through 23. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, meaning he was praying for his disciples, the 12 guys who got to hang with him, but for those also who will believe in me through their word. All right, that's a lot of us in this room, but if you're in this room and you haven't yet believed in Christ, please know you're not alone this morning. It may be some of you to know that the person sitting next to you may not be entirely all in with what I'm about to teach, that might really excite you. Um, because so many times I think we come thinking that we're the only ones who don't really get it. And that's not the case at K2, praise God. We're here for you. But what I'm gonna share today is specifically to those of us who have put our faith in Christ. It really is a day where we're specifically looking at, as a believer in Christ, what's true for me. So Christ is praying for us. And he prays that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you've sent me. The glory which you gave me I've given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may believe that you sent me. If you um, stop and look at this, prayer, it's, it's kind of funny, it's I and you and you and me and they and us and um, how else do you try in human words to articulate a mystery that is as deeply profound as the Godhead? Because what does he pray? He prays that they may be one, that they may all be one, and that they may be perfected in unity. But that word unity in the Greek is actually the word one. It's not unity, which we'll see later in Ephesians. That they may be one, that they may all be one, that they may be perfected in one, just as we are. Do you know who Jesus was talking to at that moment? God the Father. Behold Israel, the Lord your God is one. And he prayed that we would be one with each other, just like the God, just like he's one with the Father. Okay, if any of you have spent any time in church, that should make your jaw drop, because it is, it's, it, it'll be a miracle, and that's why I think he prayed for it. <laughs> I also wanna highlight one little word. So, uh, bottom line is, he wants us to be one. That's what he asked for. The one little word I wanna highlight in there is that they may all be one. I believe that Jesus is the word, and I believe that every word in scripture is not there by accident, so I kinda of pay attention to little words, 
because I think they mean something. And I think Jesus specifically repeated himself and prayed that they may all be one because he knew that there were those of us who'd want to be the exception to the rule. There are no exceptions. And he says to the Father, the glory which you gave me, I've given to them, that they may be one. Okay, glory. I just, um, this is one of my favorite things to talk about, so I'm gonna talk about it as we lead into this because I think it has a profound effect on what we're gonna look at in Ephesians. The word glory in the ancient Hebrew understanding came from a word simply that meant heavy. And if you've ever been in the presence of true glory, you know why. Have you stood for the first time at the edge of the Pacific Ocean with the waves smashing and thought about how big that body of water is and you're just seeing it crash at the edges? Have you not felt glory? If you've had the privilege of seeing a child born from your own flesh and blood, and even though you know she's in there, he's in there, and even though you know that this baby's coming out, the moment that that baby breathes and cries, there is something unexplainable that I think is glory. So, Jesus was glory because the understanding from the the biblical um, dictionary that David uses all the time, he gave it to me so that I would get this right. Glory means the objective reality of the presence of God. How many of us who are trying to figure out if God really exists would like an objective reality of his presence? Jesus was that. He came full of glory, right? And we saw his glory full of grace and truth. Um, He was the objective reality of the presence of God. And guess what? He gave that to us. Are you kidding me? Really? The heaviness of the objective reality of the presence of God. Objective means you can't argue it away. You can't explain it. You can't wish it away. This phone, I cannot make disappear even as much as I want to wish it away. It's an object. Objective reality means it's not up to your interpretation. That is what he's given to us. So let's move into Ephesians. He makes us one. As one, we know him. And knowing him is worth the mess. All right, he makes us one. Um, I'm going to go first to a passage that will not be on the screen. Um, Ephesians, by the way, is a book written in the plural. That's why I chose this. Uh, When Paul's writing this book, he's like, you, 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 you. And every single time, it's a plural you. He's not right. And here's what we do in America. We hear that God is speaking to us, and we automatically filter that into he's speaking to me. We just do that. And he is. That's the beautiful thing. He is so near and personal. He speaks to each one of us. But we forget that that's in the context of him speaking to us. 
And that's what Ephesians is. And the whole first chapter is just Paul just talking about how much Jesus has blessed us, how much God has given us, how he's lavished his love on us, how he knew us before the creation of the world and wanted us to be a part of his... Okay, I'm just going to give this. I thought I might sit, but the microphones make it impossible. Okay. Um, the whole first chapter is all that God has done, and he finishes the chapter with this wonderful verse where it says um, <clears throat> that God put all things in subjection under the feet of Christ and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. How do you take a phrase like the fullness of him who fills all in all and even have it make sense to us? The great I am who made everything, the full, he fills everything in every way as another translation says, and we, his people, are the fullness of him. He says, uh, I'm gonna talk about three different pictures he gives us to talk about how he's made us one. And the first one is in this verse, he says he gave him his head over the church. So I'm gonna talk about the church today. And you need to know that this is coming from a person who has not always been a church person. Many of you in this room know, because I've said it from stage more than once, but many of you don't know me, that I told my friends to shoot me if I ever married a pastor. Um, I'm so glad they didn't take me up on it. I have been, throughout my life, I've been a person who really, for a lot of years, um, struggled to want to identify myself with the church. I gave my heart to Jesus at a young age, when I was 13. I grew up going to church, and you know what? The sweetness of my home church, where 12 people gathered in one room to sing hymns and hear the word week after week after week with their tan rancher faces and wrinkled eyes, did something in my heart. I can't lie. Everywhere I've ever been, I've gone to church. But when it came to wanting to be identified with the church, that was a different story. Because, right, the church is an institution, and we don't like institutions. At least we see it as an institution. Um, the church, that word, comes with a lot of baggage in our world. And my experience of Jesus is so sweet and so personal that it feels like to take that experience with Jesus to the world and have this big dinosaur thing called a church linked to that feels, um, feels like a, a dichotomy. I don't know what the word is. Um, we long, I think, those of us who don't want to be identified with the church, long for something far more personal, far more organic, far more natural. The word church in the Greek is simply ekklesia, from two, two Greek words, ek means out of. Klesis is from the kaleo, from the word for call, so it's a calling out. This word actually was used in the time uh, that the Bible was written in the Greek world just to mean people who had gathered together to discuss politics of state. It wasn't, in essence, a spiritual word. 
And like Paul often does, he took a word of the culture and, it, and it, it means something different for us. So we're the called out ones. It just simply means those who are called not just to God, but to each other. So we long for something more personal and organic. So God gives us something. He gives us another picture right in this same verse. He gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body. What can be more natural organic and personal than a body. He also, in chapter two, makes us into a special kind of home. And this one will be on the screen. I think it's in, uh, two, 19, 20, and 21. I'm reading, by the way, from the New American Standard. If you haven't noticed, those of you who used to listen to David, he has a much more readable version for you guys. Um, But this is what I know and love. This is closer to the Greek, and that's why we're in it. Um, Having, uh, so in 19, basically he moves from everything God's done to us to to what he's done in us to take us and make us one, and in um, verses, chapter 2, verses 20 and 21, it says that we, um, first of all, in 19, we're member of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building, this is what I wanted to get to, being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. I want to talk on this because... In our understanding, when we think about being built into a, we are a building. We are, we're being built together into a holy temple in the Lord. We think of something non-organic, something institutional, something with four corners. Um, This is so different. He says you're members of God's household, which means by kin, by blood. We become, when we put our faith in Christ, part of a family. And then it says we're being built together. The word for build there in the Greek is the, they had different words. The word here that's used is when you're going to build a house for a family. You're being built, you're being fitted together. That word is soon harmolego in the Greek. So it's together, harmony, chosen. The word harmony, the word harmos is just where two things come together to be one. Together, we're chosen to be one in a building that's a house. Not only that, it goes on to say that um, a dwelling place of God. Dwelling, it's to settle down. We're being built into a home where God has chosen to settle down. I'm talking about us who believe. We are a home that God has chosen to settle down into, that grows. The the word growth is in this passage. There are different words for grow. This one is the one for living things. Living things grow. We are a living, breathing building where God has made his home. This is, I know it's a mystery. And finally, the word temple here is is not the big building that you think of when you think of um, the temple of the Israelites. It's the holy place where only the priests could go. It's a sanctuary. What I'm saying is, according to scripture, if you want to know where God is, look at his people. (laughs) 
All right. I hesitate there because I'll, I'll get more into that. Again, it is natural, I think, to not be able to wrap our minds around this. But that's where we're going. He's made us one, and as one, we know him. We're going to turn to chapter 4 now, and we're just going to read through this together. Here's the deal. If you're in church, you're probably here because to some extent greater or lesser, you want to know God, right? And according to scripture, if you want to know God, you don't do that in isolation. We do that together. And that's where we're headed in chapter four. So he moves, um, Paul moves in chapter four of Ephesians from all of these wonderful things that God has done to what he is doing in us. And we're gonna start reading in uh, verse one. Paul says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Um, okay, stop there. Call, the calling with which you have been called. Remember, ecclesia, the church, is the word for the ones who are called. The called out ones. Okay? So, Bonhoeffer says it this way. You're called not just to God, but to each other. You are called into community. And if you neglect the community, you're neglecting your own knowledge of God. All right. We're going to keep moving. All right. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another and love. If any of you have been around the church long enough, you know that we need to be able to put up with each other. That's what he's saying. If you want to move to the kind of intimacy I'm about ready to talk about, you have to be patient and not just run to another community because this one has ticked you off. There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Again, over, through, and in, all. This is all about him. And I, as I was writing these out in my notes and I was highlighting how many times it says one in this verse, I felt a little bit like the seagulls in Nemo. You know, they're like, mine, 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 mine. I feel like that's what this is. One, 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 one. It's seven times, I think. I didn't write it down, but I'm pretty sure. Um, are you getting the point? Christ prayed that we would be one. And Paul is saying there's one. There's one body. There's one spirit. There's one God. There's only one baptism. We're one. And then he moves from this great plural book written to all of us that we're one. And in chapter 7 he goes, or verse 7 he says, but to each. But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Again, hearkening back to Jesus prayed that we would all be one. There are no exceptions. Each one of you who has put your faith in Christ, the, you need to know that God has given you faith. And he's given you a gift. Why? Why has he done that? It's for your brothers and sisters who are sitting around you. It's for the Ecclesia. He's given you a gift, and we're going to go into that. Ephesians 4, 
Uh, let's look at 11 and 12. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. Um, why has he given each of us gifts? To the building up of the body of Christ. He, he lists some specifically here, the prophets and the pastors and the teachers. And we all have unique gifts. And, and there are some of us who are called to make sure that each person who's get put their faith in Christ is able to use their gift well. But here's what I want to highlight. He says to equip the saints for the work of service. By the way, that word equipping is the same word that Jesus prayed in John 17 where he said, I pray that they would be perfected in one. This word equipping is actually perfecting. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of service. That word service a lot of times in scriptures, um, we've taken that word <clears throat> in our culture, in America, we take that word and turn it into ministry. That's, that's the word that's the root for what we call ministry. And so according to Paul, every single one of us is called to ministry. But what I want to highlight about it is that word service is a household slave. It's the term that they use not just for any slave, not for the hard labor slave or whatever. It's the term that referred to the person who would stand at attention in the home to be ready to meet the needs of the household, whatever they may be. Believer in Christ, you've been given a gift. Are you standing at attention for your Lord to be able to help you know how to meet the needs of his household whenever he needs you to? That's what you're called to. And that's what we help each other do as we build the body up. Again, that word build up is the build for building a home. Remember that a body is the instrument of life. Well, who's, whose life are we the instrument of together as a body? It's the life of Jesus. So somehow we're going to see Jesus through all this. What's the point of building each other up? Let's look at verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. That word unity, uh, I skipped over it. It's also up in verse 3. The only time it's ever used in the New Testament or in the Bible as a whole is right here in Ephesians chapter 4. It actually is the word one strengthened. So it's like oneity. It's not really the word one, and it's not really the word that we usually think of for unity, like harmony. It's, it's oneness. Um, the oneness or the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. If you're in church today, you're here because you want to know God. We all attain to the unity, the, the oneness of faith and knowledge. That word knowledge is what I want to camp on here in this verse because it's a neat, I, okay, if you haven't figured out, I like the Greek. I like to know what it originally said because I think our language has butchered things. And the words for knowledge are very fascinating to me. And there's one word that, for knowledge that's gnosko, and that's a relational knowing. Like for me, getting to know Patty. I so value who she is that I want to engage in relationship with her and get to know her. 
And as I do that, there's a reciprocal, she values me. And, and there's this engagement that happens. There's, I know her, it's progressive, and it shows honor to her the more I engage in knowing her. That's the word gnosko. This is the word epigonosco, which is taking that idea and bumping it up a notch. It's a heightened version of relational knowing, and it means full knowledge, and it requires a greater participation on my part. This kind of knowledge of God that we're talking about will require a greater participation on your part. And it happens here. So here's the crazy thing. It can, I can get to know God through his word. I can get to know God as I hike and climb and ski. That's one of our favorite things to do here, right? I can get to know God in a lot of different ways. But according to Paul, we only mature and get to know him fully as a body. So it has something to do with the people of God, which is crazy, but that's reality. Um, Okay. Later on in this chapter, I'm not going to read it, but he talks about us being held together um, by every supporting ligament and again goes back to each. But the point is, he made us one so that we would know him, so that the world would know him. And I'm not, I don't get to talk about that today. That's David's going there next week. Um, but this has been the crazy maker for me, B believe it or not. I, um, I don't get this about Jesus, but I am learning to love this more than almost anything else I've ever learned about him. Um, for a lot of years of my life, not only was I the, um, the independent one who didn't need people, I was also... Um, what I call I'm an in-the-worldist. Have I already said this here? No. Sorry. <laughs> I said it in the red box. I'm thinking, okay, so I've coined a new term, an in-the-worldist. Basically, I would rather be with one of my friends who doesn't know Christ most of the time than my friends who do. And I can't explain it. That's the heart God's given me simply because I think my, what brings me to a place of his weight and his glory more than anything else is realizing how much he loves people. And, um, and so I would rather be in the world than in his body. I would rather be in nature than with his people. I, I have spent years of my life pulling away from church and community to go be alone in the mountains. Years. I have spent so much time in solitude. And I, I will say this, solitude is a beautiful gift. And so much of who I am today is because I've spent a lot of time in solitude. But what God has done is taken me from this person who doesn't need anybody to being someone who, um, I have been broken open. I will lay down my life for the body of Christ and I will, I treasure the gift of the people that God's given me. Um, and I see him, I see him. I feel like Job who said, after everything was said and done, he said, behold, I've heard of you, 
with the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes have seen you. I feel like someone who said, I think I heard of you, God, but now through your people, I'm seeing you. Um, some of you have longed for this. I just feel like I need to say some of you have longed for this and still feel isolated. And, um, and I share this with you today and your heart's going, yes, 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 it's what I want, that's what I believe. Why is it so hard for me to find that? And get in community. And I think, first of all, if Jesus asked this one thing for us, I believe the one thing our enemy wants to hinder is this. So if you're having a hard time connecting with the people of God, I think we need to pray into that and understand that you can't blame the community, you can't blame K2, you can't blame the pastors for not doing a good job. You might need to pray and start looking at who the true enemy is, who's trying to hinder your connections. I think also part of what happens is we have blind spots and many of us, the very community we long for, we push away from us by our behavior and we don't even know it. That's why we need each other in the body to speak truth to each other in love so that when truth is offered to you about some of your blind spots, you can finally move past it into the kind of intimacy you were created to have and the type of body that you were created to be a part of. I want to close with an illustration. Um, during our caring for God's people, well, let's see. All right, first, I'll share the illustration. My husband loves me a lot. He really loves me. One of the things he loves um, about me, one of the ways he's been able to access my heart, I'm an introvert, by the way, and I didn't have time to talk about this today, but there's a great book called Introverts in the Church by Adam McHugh. And if you're an introvert here who's struggling to want to connect, who, in fact, when service is done today, you can't wait to bolt and be alone, um, this guy gets you, he gets us. And I encourage you to pick it up and read it. Um, but anyway, one of the things my husband loves to do to get to know my heart, because as an introvert I don't share it very freely, um, is read what I've written and look at things I've created. I'm a very creative person and sometimes you can access who I am and my soul and what I feel by looking at the things I've created. In fact, um, when we were just getting to know each other, I gave him something that I'd written and it was reading that that gave him a hunger to know the rest of my heart. See, there's something about what a person creates that reveals to you a piece of their heart, right? Okay, let me ask you a question. On a Friday night, if David has three hours to spend getting to know me, which would he choose? Three hours of reading my writing or dinner with me? When I die, David will have everything I've ever written, everything I've ever created is his, he gets it all. Do you think that will be the same thing for him as having me? Ludicrous, right? But that's how many of us function in our relationship with God. Can you see God in the world? Yeah, it's his creation. In Romans, Paul talks about we get to know the eternal nature of God through what he's made. You can know God by hiking in the mountains and spending time in his word. You can see him in the face of people 
any people, not just the people of God. Imago Dei, right? We're all made in the image of God. So there's so much of me that loves to see God in the city streets. I'm, I'm the country girl who loves the city because I love the broken people of the world and I would love to look in their eyes and see the image of God. But would you rather have the artwork or the artist? According to Paul, and this is the crazy thing, He hasn't just given us. He hasn't just made us a body or created. We aren't just the artistic, we aren't just his creation anymore. We are the actual house of the living God. He has given us himself. And if you want to see God, not just something he's made, according to Paul, he's in us. He lives in us. He's made his home in us. We are the instrument of his life. We are a body. We are knit together. And there's something about engaging in this community that actually gives you an encounter with Christ himself. Um, in our Caring for God's People class, uh, Mark Demiglio said, you know, let's pretend that somebody said that Jesus was across the street in the other warehouse. And you knew, let's just pretend that somehow we knew it wasn't a hoax. Jesus Christ himself really is over there across 21 South in the other warehouse. He said it would be like a game of Frogger trying to get across 21. We'd be, are you kidding me? If I knew Jesus Christ the Nazarene was in the building across the street and I could see him, what would I not do to get there? Guys, according to this, we are the warehouse across the street. He's in us. And we let too many things hinder us from, from seeing him. We let our right, our, um, our right to be right, our justified anger, our bitterness, our hurts, our individualism, our independence, we let so many things hinder us from pressing into God's call to community. So today I'm just asking you to consider, are you being everything God created you to be as a member of the body of Christ? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for these people. I don't know, Lord, if I've done justice to the mystery of how you've made us a body building an ecclesia. I don't even get it, but I know there's a divine reality that we've yet to live in if we want to know you. So I pray you continue to make this known in our midst through the coming months. And today that each one of us would hear what we need to hear from you to take a step of faith in response to that. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.